You're listening to Comedy Central. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. February 28, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Guest tonight, Univision anchor and author, here to talk about his new book. Jorge Ramos is here, everybody. But let's start. Let's start with what went down this afternoon at the White House. President Trump held a roundtable with lawmakers to talk face-to-face about guns. And I've got to tell you, he didn't say what you'd expect. The reason I had lunch with the NRA on Sunday, I called him. I said, you got to come over. I said, fellas, we got to do something. And they do have great power. I agree with that. They have great power over you people. They have less power over me. It doesn't make sense that I have to wait till I'm 21 to get a handgun, but I can get this weapon at 18. I don't know. So I was just curious as to what you did in your bill. We, you don't we didn't. We didn't address it as president. Look, I think you know we, why? Because you're afraid of the NRA, right? <laughs> wow. You know, there are moments when Trump reminds me of a drunk uncle calling everyone out at a wedding. Like, like mostly you wish he wasn't there, but some shit he says is true, you know? He's like, this guy's afraid of the NRA. And your dad, he'll never tell you this, but he kissed a penis. <laughs> I mean, he just publicly busted Republicans for being afraid of the NRA. And you can see how confident he is. He's like, yeah, you guys are afraid. The NRA doesn't own me. I'm president. Nobody owns me. Oh, hold on. Putin's calling. Hold on. Hey, Vlad. Yes, yes. I'll get on it. But let's move on from Trump to the tremendous people that he's hired. Yesterday, news came out that Jared Kushner lost his top secret security clearance, possibly because he's doing business with foreign countries that were trying to manipulate him. Then this morning, Trump got into a Twitter fight with his attorney general. Then just this afternoon, one of his closest and longest standing advisors, communications director Hope Hicks, suddenly announced her resignation. Yeah, and this last piece of news was really shocking. Trump had a communications director? (laughs) And, like, that's the problem with trying to keep up with this administration. There are so many characters dominating the headlines that we sometimes lose track of what's going on with the quieter ones, you know? It's like in Game of Thrones, where someone pops up and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy. You're like, what was his story again? He's looking for a tree or something? What is that? Yeah, and the guy searching for the tree in the Trump administration is Dr. Ben Carson. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and real-life Zootopia sloth. (laughs) When he took over at HUD, he had no relevant experience and one big goal, saving taxpayer money. There is a tremendous amount of of waste that's going on. Uh, We're finding that waste. Like Carson says, when another federal agency was getting rid of its old computers and by rules had to destroy them, a loss of $750,000. Carson says HUD wanted them, but bureaucracy was getting in the way. Lawyers came in and said, no, you can't really give that to this agency because of rule number 671. And this, what a bunch of crap. Watch your mouth, boy. (laughs) 
Oh, but look at that. Reusing old computers. That's great for taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, sucks for the people who work at HUD, you know, because he basically did that thing every kid hated, you know, where you thought you were going to get fresh new kicks, and then your mom was like, great news! Your cousin Jimmy is getting rid of his sneakers! And it's perfect because he's almost your size! And if you think, oh, he's just saving money inside the department so he can spend more of it on the needy people that HUD serves. No. Frugality is a way of life for Ben Carson. Everyone's got to tighten their belts. Earlier this month, Carson said public housing should not be, quote, too comfortable because it will make people say, I'll just stay here. They won't take care of me. That is extreme. He wants to help people, but he still wants to keep them a little miserable. Yeah, just so they stay sharp. I wonder if he applied this philosophy to his brain surgery career. He's like, I only removed part of your tumor. I want to keep your brain on its toes. Also, I put some toes in there. Now, you, you may disagree with Ben Carson's view, but you have to admire a man who's so consistently committed to saving money. Like, you have to admire that. Unless it's all bullshit. A whistleblower at the Department of Housing and Urban Development is sounding off. An ex-staffer says she was demoted after refusing to spend more than the legal $5,000 limit to redecorate Secretary Ben Carson's new office. She says that the pressure continued for her to, again, quote, find the money, find a way around this legal cap of spending only $5,000 for redecorating uh, the office. She says her supervisor told her, quote, $5,000 will not even buy a decent chair. Wait, what? (laughs) Does Ben Carson think a good chair costs $5,000? This guy would be the worst prices right contestant. (laughs) How much for this can of beans? My guess is $3 million. (laughs) Wait, that's a wrong answer. $4 million. No, you're getting it wrong. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is $4 million? Seriously, you can't get a good chair for less than $5,000, really? You realize you can get a sex chair off of Amazon that will literally sodomize you, and it's $49.99 with free shipping. That's real. You can go buy it. You can go buy it right now. And now, yesterday morning, when this news broke, Carson's people denied that he was out there buying gold-plated chairs. And that was cool for a few hours until this came out. The Department of Housing and Urban Development is under scrutiny, and rightly so. 31 grand of your money on a new dining room set for the secretary, Ben Carson. The New York Times reports HUD spent $31,000 on a new dining set for Secretary Ben Carson's office as cuts were being planned for programs to the homeless and elderly and poor. Ben Carson says he didn't know the table was purchased, but does not intend to return it. You know, there are times when I doubt Ben Carson's blackness, but then something like this happens and I'm like, yeah, that's my dude. (laughs) No, because that's how black people handle shit, right? You get something you're not supposed to, but you have it now. Like the guy from Verizon will call up like, I'm sorry about this, but you paid for an iPhone 6 and we sent you a 10 by mistake. And be like, uh, sounds like you f***ed up. (laughs) Bye-bye. So it turns out Mr. Saving Money over here wanted a chair for over $5,000, and then bought a dining set for $30,000. And now, The Guardian reported that his department just spent over $160,000 on lounge furniture. 
Yeah, you realize for that amount of money, he could have built a poor person a decent house. Yeah. Or three uncomfortable houses, whichever way you want to go. <laughs> like, Ben Carson is clearly doing some shady shit at his department. And it might also involve his wife uh, and his son. I don't know. I do think... This is probably why the secretary was so evasive last year when Congress was questioning him about his budgets. Sir, you have uh, indicated that there will be substantial cuts to the budget that HUD has. How much from housing vouchers, Mr. Carson? Uh, Rather than go through a quiz on all the numbers... uh... It's not a quiz, Mr. Carson. I have the time to ask you questions about things that you should have some knowledge of. Why would the secretary of HUD not give the number, the amount that you're cutting from housing vouchers, Mr. Carson. How much, Mr. Carson? Let's hear your number. Mr. Carson, (laughs) you're the witness testifying today. And if you want a moment to ask someone behind you, I would gladly accord you that moment. I I don't want to open the book and look at the numbers. (laughs) What? Why does he sound like a kid who's too scared to look under the bed? I don't want to look under the bed and see the monsters. Uh, So things are not looking good for Dr. Ben Carson, especially because it seems like every day a new scandal pops up. And we haven't even talked about the biggest scandal yet. This happened just 11 days ago. You see, Dr. Ben Carson was on Fox News for an interview. And I'm not trying to be funny here, but he farted. (laughs) I promise you, we did not alter this footage. The audio is 100% real. Listen closely. You have a program that you told me about that really was or is the basis of this new WIND program. What is it? Well, it's it's called the Envision program. And, you know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, without a vision, the people perish. (laughs) Ben Carson didn't just fart loudly on TV. He did it while quoting scripture. (laughs) Although, although, to be fair, to be fair, if you read the Bible, it does say, and I quote, without a vision, the people perish, brap. (laughs) It's in there. But let's not let this hilarious moment distract us from the real issue. While supporting deep budget cuts to his department, Carson is spending lavishly on dining sets and lounge furniture and $5,000 chairs, which is not okay. Unless that chair costs $5,000 because it has sophisticated fart-suppressing technology. In that case, it's money well spent. We'll be right back. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. show. My guest tonight is an award-winning journalist, Univision anchor, and author of the new book, Stranger, The Challenge of a Latino Immigrant in the Trump Era. Please welcome Jorge Ramos. Thank you. 
for the show. Thank you so much. So that happened um, after he threw an air kiss. Right. Which was a signal to the bodyguard. Let me ask yeah. you a question. When that was happening, did you think to yourself, I'm fighting with a man who will become the president of the United States? At, at that moment, we realized that something was happening and people were not paying attention to to what we were saying. He's the same person that in June had said that Mexican immigrants were criminals and drug traffickers and rapists. And I'm a Mexican immigrant, so he was talking about me. Right. And we said that and they said, well, many people thought, well, Latinos, you're too sensitive. That's not true. And then he was attacking a journalist, something against the freedom of the press. We were saying, look what he's doing. And then people didn't pay attention. And then he became president and it's a little too late. It's interesting that you say, um that as a Mexican you felt like he was speaking to you and about you because it feels like people seem to think that Trump has the best intentions until he says something about them. Then all of a sudden people flip and go like, oh yeah, well this guy, this guy's racist. This uh, guy's something I, I, I never knew it before. Do you think it just needs to happen to everyone? We knew before. We knew before. I mean, when, when he launched his campaign, it was June 2015, he again said, a racist, made a, a racist comment. Right. And then just recently when he was talking about Haitians and people from African nations saying that they come from shithole countries, that's right. a racist statement. And when he said that Josh Gonzalo Curiel, because of his Mexican heritage, he couldn't do his job, that's right. a racist statement. He could so, not be a judge because of exactly. his heritage. Exactly. So, right. so here we have a president who's making racist statements. And, and the question is, what should we do as journalists? I mean, should we just report reality as it is? Or should we also take a social role? And I think mm -hmm. that's very important for us. Now, you've had a lot of drama with President Trump. I mean, yeah. uh, you describe him in the book posting your phone number online, like yeah. after you try to get an interview with him. Do you wear that as, with a badge of, of, of pride? Or is that something that terrifies you, knowing that the president had a personal beef with you? Well, what happened is that um, after he said all these things about uh, immigrants and I said, well, let's just try to get an interview with him. So I wrote him a hundred note. I sent it to the Trump Towers. And right. then instead of answering that or saying, okay, I'm not interested in, in, in the interview, he published my cell phone number on Instagram. Wow. And then, of course, after that, I started getting hundreds and hundreds of uh, calls and texts, some of them funny, uh, asking for uh, <laughs> opportunities to write a book or... Oh, or, or, okay. So there was a positive to it. Exactly. Okay. But then... And then uh, people really attacking me and saying exactly the same thing that President Trump. I think hate is contagious. Right. And it's, in this case, it started from the top down. And then if Trump is saying, uh, go back to Univision, he really meant go back to Mexico. Right. Univision, it sounded like it when he said it. And, and the book is really about that in different ways. You are a journalist. You are an American citizen. I am. Right. You've been an American citizen for how long? 30, 35 years. I have, 35 years. I have two kids here. This country gave me opportunities that my country of origin couldn't give me. So when you say the challenge of a Latino immigrant in the Trump era, you don't feel that there is a fear of deportation, but you feel that there's something larger growing in the United States. And you speak about this in the book. What would you say the challenge is? Well, first, the challenge is to resist. I think the most important word in any language is no. In, in this case, we're going to say no to Donald Trump. This is, this is not the America that, uh, that embraced me at the beginning. Right. And I think um, at the end, our idea of a tolerant, diverse, multicultural uh, America will prevail. And his idea, his idea won. I mean, he wants to end what he calls chain migration. Uh -huh. It's really family reunification. But, but here's the situation. Melania's parents uh, just got a green card recently. Right. It's in that family reunification. It's in that chain migration. Right. So how come he wants 
uh, chain migration for his family, for his... Uh, right, for his, his in-laws. In-laws. Exactly, yeah. for his in-laws, and not for the rest of America. I think that's a, there's well, a double standard there. Because they're not Mexican. Come on, Jorge, catch up. <laughs> Come on, let's get on the same page here. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the case, and, and, and that's precisely the problem. Right. You know? It seems like Trump does have double standards when it comes to this, especially because of Melania and the yeah. family. In, in the book, you, you, you speak about... Donald Trump's relationship to immigrants as a whole. You speak about uh, what he's doing with DACA. You speak about uh, the wall. Do you in any way see what he's connecting within people? Do you think it is only hate, or do you think there's a part of him that's managed to connect with the fear and the reality of some people not having jobs or wages being stagnant? Is that something you can acknowledge? I, I think so. I think this is the reality. In 2044, everyone is going to be a minority in this country. We're going to be a minority-majority country. And, and Donald Trump and some of his followers, they don't like that. So they have a nostalgic view of the United States. Right. And they really want to make America white again. They want to go back to 1965, right. when 85% of the people were non-Hispanic whites. But that's simply impossible, because everything's changing. However, they're making an effort to do that. And unfortunately, uh, many Latinos are being uh, affected. Some families are being destroyed. Uh-huh. And many people are being attacked. And if somebody says to you, but Jorge, this is a law of a country. Sure. Every country has deportation. Why is Trump a bad guy for deporting people? Well, because uh, undocumented immigrants, first of all, they co- he calls them illegals. No one is illegal. No human being is illegal. And they are here because of us. I mean, they harvest our food, they build our homes, they do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. So we're partly responsible for that. And Donald Trump is asking as if they have absolutely nothing to do with us. And they are part of the United States. The only difference is that they don't have a paper. And as a matter of fact, uh, immigrants tend to be less likely to be criminals or to be behind bars than U.S. citizens. But that's something that Donald Trump never says. Whenever he talks about immigrants, he's criminalizing them, saying, well, they're from La Mara Salvatrucha, MS-13. He's absolutely wrong. That's fake news to me. <laughs> uh, let's talk about... The, the, there's, a, there's a chapter in the book uh-huh. entitled um, The Deporter-in-Chief, yeah. Barack Obama. It's a title that he was given, and it's, it's stuck to him. And as you say in the book, he was never able to shrug it off. Do you truly believe that Barack Obama was the Deporter-in-Chief? Yes, and I'm, and I'm really sorry to say that because Barack Obama believed in, in Latinos. He promoted comprehensive immigration reform. He really wanted to, to legalize 11 million people. Right. But the fact is that uh, there were two problems. First, he deported two and a half million undocumented immigrants, more right. than any other president. And on the other hand, he didn't keep his word. He promised me on camera that he was going to introduce, introduce immigration reform in his first year in office, and he didn't keep his word. When, when he controlled the White House and both chambers of Congress. Right. So, so that was the problem. Now, I think that explains why many Latinos decided not to vote in the past election. Out of 27 million eligible to vote, only 30 million went, went to the polls. Right. Yeah, so unfortunately, it's a mix. Well, and legacy. the 3 million illegal votes. But yes, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, according according to, to Donald Trump. Right, right, right. Which is not a reliable source. He lies five times a, a day, isn't he? He does. He does for fun. They said he lies. So his friends have said he lies for fun. And then Hope Higgs now saying that she... Right, right, right. White lies. I mean, so how can you trust... 
an administration that exactly. says they lie sometimes, maybe if they need to. Yeah. Let me let me <laughs> let me ask you this though, with regards uh -huh. to the the deporter in chief. So when I was reading your book, I read that, and I and I mean, I had known this. I've seen people on Twitter say this. I've seen people collectively agree that Obama deported more than George Bush. Yeah. But when you actually look at the numbers, you find that George Bush during his term yeah. uh, deported more people, but there was, a, there was a, a caveat in the law that changed near the end of his term, and that was people who were deported within a certain range of the border yeah. weren't reported as deported. That is true. That it's is almost true. like they just never came into the country. That is true. And Obama deported fewer people who were actually in the country, let's say with, without, like outside of that range from the border. Mm -hmm. So when you look at those numbers, you find that Obama didn't actually deport more people than George Bush, and Obama was actually trying to get more people to stay in the country and wasn't as aggressive in his deportation. I, do, do you not think that that factors I, I, I into... I do understand your argument, and I think, uh, I think it's fair. The, the way we were... Uh, Making those numbers in the in the Bush, Bush administration right. and then with, with Obama is, is is different. However, at the end, uh, Trevor, we have to say that he deported two and a half million people. Now, right. uh, now let's let's go to to Donald Trump. I I, I believe he's the most anti-immigrant president that we've had since the 1950s, right. since Operation Wetback. Um, and then President Trump has arrested 30 percent more immigrants than Barack Obama in his last year. Arrested. It doesn't mean that he's deporting them. Right. He has arrested them. Therefore, destroying many families. And, and at the end, I think uh, he wants to change the essence of the United States. That is, the essence is that we're a nation of immigrants. And, and he doesn't like accents. He doesn't like my accent. He might not like yours either. And oh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll change it when I speak to him. I'll be like, <laughs> hi, Mr. President, and we'll be good. And, and sometimes you use an accent to, to survive. Right. That's true. Exactly. And... Uh, uh, at the end, what happens with, with immigrants is that um, that's why I feel sometimes like a stranger. I, I, I think I'll never be American enough to many Americans. And when I go back to Mexico, I'm not Mexican enough to many Mexicans anymore. Right. So I'm, as Sandra Cisneros, a writer, told me, you're an amphibian working in, in two different words. And right. sometimes I am and you are a translator. Uh, from Work one word to the other, uh, sometimes working in Spanish, working in English right, right now, and speaking in Spanglish to my children. Let me ask you one thing before I let you go. Sure. You, you, you said something that um, was really interesting, and that was of the eligible uh, Latino voters in the United States, many of them decided not to vote for, for the Democrats, or decided not to they vote did. at all. Going forward, do you think the sentiment has changed? Do you think there are some people who didn't think Donald Trump was going to be as threatening to them as he actually is? And do you think this will increase turnout at the next election? I, I certainly hope so. Um, they didn't vote because they didn't trust the Democrats nor uh, President Trump. But now they, they know exactly who is at the White House. Right. Again, someone who's made racist remarks, someone who's attacking immigrants, someone who ha wants to change the essence of the United States. And I think at the end... Um, no one will be able to make it to the White House or to be a governor or to make it to the both chambers of Congress without the Hispanic vote. We're going to be a third of the population. We're 60 million Latinos right now. We'll be 100, 100 million in, in 30 years. And, and we are, our challenge, Trevor, I think is to go from big numbers to power. We're 20% of the population. We only have four senators. But that's a big challenge, to go from numbers to power. And we'll get it. It's a fascinating book. Prevail. Thank you so much for your time, and I really so appreciate much. it. Stranger is available now. Jorge Ramos, everyone.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.